This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, my name is Daryl Ong and you're tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week on the program, we check in with a rebirthed Kuala Lumpur City FC, a club which very well might be the new kings of the Klang Valley. But for start, Sabrina Magdalene from the news desk joins us on this week's news roundup on the good, the bad and the ugly. Sabrina, let's start with the good news of the week. Yes, so football fans, ding ding ding, may gradually be allowed back into stadiums. So Prime Minister uh, Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin, he said this in a video that was uploaded into the Malaysian Football League's uh, Facebook page. Of course, you know, it will begin in small numbers and he indicated that it'll be, um, of course, once COVID-19 cases uh, see a significant drop. And he was quoted as saying that, you know, it is important for fans to be back in the stadiums cheering and it's also important, you know, for the game, which has always been a source of pride for Malaysians. Mm. And also this comes um, as the Malaysian Football League kicked off uh, the season last week uh, with, of course, you know, strict SOPs in place. And also the Sepak Takra League and the Hockey League has also just kicked off this week actually yeah so definitely great news and you know on the point of fans it's all, you must have the 12th man right back, backing you up so it's nice that it's slowly uh, coming in, back into play and you know especially with the vaccines right um, I think I think confidence in, in I guess the general public is growing yes. now that the vaccines Come. are here so it's definitely great news for sports fans uh, nationwide uh, let's move on to the bad news of the week then yeah I feel like it's most sad news actually <laughs> because um, overseas spectators may unlikely be allowed to attend the Tokyo Olympics this July. So the new president of the Tokyo Olympic Organizing Committee, Seiko Hashimoto, was quoted as saying that if the situation is tough and it would make the Japanese consumers concerned, and that is a situation that we need to avoid from happening. And this actually happened after online talks with the International Olympic Committee president that she had with. So local media reported that Hashimoto was questioned after the meeting as to, you know, how Japan could even consider letting in thousands of overseas fans, um, given how unpopular the idea is at home, mm. where up to 80% won the Olympics cancelled or postponed again. Oh. So she confirmed the subject of fans was actually a key part of their talks during that time. Mm, and that's one definitely one big major factor. I think the whole point of uh, the Olympics is also uh, tourism, right? The, the the revenue and income brought in. So, um, I mean, TikTok, um, the, the clock is count, counting down. So decisions better be made soon for some clarity, I guess. 20 more weeks till the Olympics. 20 actually. more weeks. <laughs> uh, from the bad, we move on to the ugly news of the week. Yes, so former Barcelona president uh, Joseph Maria Bartolomeu was arrested. So he spent the night in custody and then um, he was later released. And he and four other people, this is actually what happened, so he and four people connected to the Spanish club were detained after raids were carried out at five locations around the Catalan city. And this is actually part of police investigations into the Barca Gate scandal. Have you heard of that? The Barca Gate scandal. <laughs> yeah, so the case was actually first uncovered uh, by a Spanish radio station in February. Um, apparently, the club's board covered up a massive payment to I3 Ventures, which is a marketing consultant hired by the club uh, to boost its social image. And the club reportedly assigned the company the task of defaming its critics 
who grew in number over the years due to the unhappiness with the Bartomeu-led board. And this actually included stars like Lionel Messi, uh, Gerard Piquet and even former manager Pep Guardiola. Mm-hmm. So I3 Ventures, they carried out the task by creating an army of fake accounts on social media, which would then paint a negative image of the individuals and also other targets. It was reported that Barcelona paid the company 980,000 euros for its services, Mm -hmm. which was divided into five installments in order to bypass internal financial controls. Mm. And then later, an independent audit was carried out into Barca's deal with i3 and found that the amount was well over the market price. And after the expose by the radio station, the club admitted... Uh, to hiring i3 ventures but denied ever assigning them the responsibility of attacking its own players or anyone else so it eventually cancelled its association with the company as the episode grew many thanks to Sabrina Magdalene for this week's news roundup on the good the bad and the ugly now onto our story of the week and focusing on a football club that has over the years been jumping in and out of the Super League Recently renamed Kuala Lumpur City Football Club, who as part of a grand scheme of football clubs nationwide being privatised, they have experienced a rebirth of sorts, given a fresh start as they rebuilt from the top. A move that has been touted for years, a form of responsibility separation of FAs and FCs to reduce the involvement of state governments and also ultimately one that seeks to revitalise the football league which has been plagued with financial scandals over the years. Kuala Lumpur City FC, who gained promotion to the Malaysian top flight last season, is one such club welcoming this new lease of life, and the head honcho of the movement is the newly appointed CEO Stanley Bernard, who was a player for the City Boys. He moved into punditry post-retirement, and now is at a hot seat at his new role with the club. This week he joins us on the line to share of Kuala Lumpur City FC's vision, its new philosophy and also how it feels like being at the ground that started it all off for him. Yeah, I started 23 years ago. Um, a lot has happened, I've uh, travelled a little bit, journeyed a little bit, hmm. but it certainly feels home. Okay, I will feels always home. be home. Absolutely, <laughs> at my heart. Um, I want to talk a bit about your transition from a player pundit and now a CEO. Do you feel like it's a natural transition for you? Uh, it does in some way, um, but until you sit on the chair, um, you never know how heavy the responsibility is. So hmm. um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing it. Um, it's challenging, but I'd rather do this than anything in the world. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it, it has come a full cycle. Um Surreal, yes, at times when you really look at it. Um, but like I said, it's it's not a job. It's something that is truly in my heart and I'm passionate about it. Great stuff. Uh, tell us a little bit about how this uh, appointment came about. Um, firstly, I think the transition has been going on for the last two years. Okay. Uh, the separation between a football association and uh, and the SC, which is basically a company entity. Yep. Because the FA is registered to the ROS. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, FCs, uh, when they started, it's a separation where they need to be registered. It's a mandatory from Asian Football Confederation, but it's mandatory that it should be registered as a senior and Berhad. So then when you go into that, we are actually a company mm-hmm. and we are a private entity. It actually started about a few months ago when I had a call to present my blueprint mm. um, on, on what would I do if I was to run a private club. And the ongoing discussions led one to another to another. Um, 
uh, expectations. Well, firstly, I think as a capital club, uh, this club can do better. That was the first thing that ran through my mind. And uh, since then, I've, I've always uh, looked forward to the challenge. So the expectations for me personally are to raise the standard of the club, to raise the, the infrastructure of the club, um, and to keep the status of Super League. Because this club has never been able to keep the status of Super League more than two years. Yeah. We get relegated, we come back up again. Yeah. Um, I've been part of that process as a player. Um, and I think that keeping the Super League status or maybe walking into top seven, eventually top five, and eventually maybe top three. Mm. Um, it's a process, but I think it has all the potentials of being in the capital city of Malaysia to achieve that. Yeah, I mean, the energy on the ground, especially, you know, while watching your press conferences and stuff like that, it almost feels like the club has been rebirthed in a way. Does that make sense? Uh, it does, because I, I when I when I uh, officially started on 1st January, um, I did believe that the separation part started. FA is still a stakeholder, mm-hmm. but FC is a completely different entity. So if you ask me, we're, we're two months old going in three months. So, yeah, it is a new club. It's it's new way of doing things. It carries a lot of tradition from what the FA has achieved. I'm really grateful for what they've done, especially keeping a clean bill. Uh, I took over a club which is uh, has just been promoted, but um, how we do things are uh, we are a corporate entity. So we look at partners as a strategic partners and how we can move forward in a long-term basis um, and how we, we create contracts are very different today. It's more partners than sponsorship yeah. Um, yeah. because we try to carry the weight of the uh, of the partners who are coming on board. When they put on KPIs, we also need to achieve those KPIs. Um, and we are a catalyst. Football clubs can be catalysts towards the exposure, the branding and of, of our, our partners. So, mm. yeah, so, yeah it, it, it feels different. Um, comparison to when I was playing for this club. Mm. Um, just yesterday, at uh, time of recording, just yesterday, you guys changed your name from KL United FC to now KL City FC. Um, why? Why is that any? Yeah, Kuala Lumpur City FC. We spelled it out. Uh, we won the full name um, purely because if you look at a club like Real Madrid, um, I think the football club is more famous than the city itself. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of uh, Kuala Lumpur City, I mean, we've got initiatives going on to a few stakeholders um, where they want to be a long-term partner. And uh, these are huge stakeholders. Mm. And they see the football club as a catalyst of us reaching out to just not just being a football club, but more than a club in the sense of reaching out to um, the, the the society, the different classes, the B40s, the M40s, the T20s, mm. um, various initiatives to raise the standards of the infrastructure um, through the strategic partnership. Hence, uh, brand the city through the football club. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest initiative, I think, that, 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 that the reasoning as well behind why we, we, we thought that Kuala Lumpur City Football Club would be the perfect catalyst uh, in how we brand the city hand in hand, mm-hmm. especially when traveling starts to open up. You know, we want to we wanna make sure that people also know the football club but also know the city through the football club. Yeah, I so mean, that was one of the biggest reasons why we did that. Yeah, I mean, I never thought a bit about it that way. You know, the Santiago Bernabeu is pretty much a tourist attraction in Madrid. So it's a new calm in, in Barcelona. So is that what you're trying to achieve in, in a way? Trying to make um, KL, KLCFC a landmark or uh, a hub for tourism? Spot on. Spot on. I think firstly, we need to make sure this stadium is a sacred stadium. It's a cauldron. Mm. <laughs> and to do that, you know, the owners of the stadiums are usually the municipal councils. Mm. And then when you present to them 
strategic partnerships um, opportunities. That's when they start to see it as a place that they can work uh, on it as well from their own KPIs or from their own business case. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, we, we're working hand in hand um, with a few other parties, which are big stakeholders. Um, we also want to raise the standards of our training ground into a professional standard. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a capital city, I think we have the infrastructures, but it's just that how we trigger them and, and maybe raising the standards of the infrastructure. Uh, I think that's the biggest reason of why we want to make sure that uh, we are also in line with the name that we carry as a football club. Mm. Kuala Lumpur City is the capital city of Malaysia. It's as simple as that. Mm. Uh, on the topic of stadiums, the home, st- uh, home stadium now is in Stadium Chiras. Uh, however, there are fans that have been calling for the move to Stadium Merdeka. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> um, I believe that I come from a very um, emotional side when, when we said, yeah, Merdeka has a lot of history. But I still remember Tanshu Elias Omar, one of the reasons as the mayor he built this stadium in 1988 was to give it to the football club, mm. was to give it to the FA, KLFA then. So I think this, this stadium has a lot of significant moments mm. uh, and I think it's time for us to look at this stadium and make it ours, make it the home of Kuala Lumpur City Football Club. Mm. Um, and uh, Merdeka is something that I think is is a great stadium with massive history. I think Moktadari is very related to that. Yep. Um, you know, one of our symbol, symbolic players of the, of, of, of the sport. Uh, but I think Kuala Lumpur City Football Club's home stadium uh, should be Kuala Lumpur Stadium, which mm. is in Chiras. Mm. Um, Stanley, I'll talk a bit about uh, your choice of coach now, Boyan Hodak. Um, he is, of course, an experienced coach in Malaysian football. Uh, bring us and our listeners through the thought process of choosing the gaffer. Um, it wasn't easy. Um, we actually had um, a kind of suggestion um, given to us at the start. Uh, but I just thought that we have to go through the right process. So when I created a task force um, in line with the current uh, senior players that we have, a few star players that we have, and the players that we were trying to acquire at that point, mm. we needed someone that knows the ins and outs with the shortest preseason uh, of Malaysian league history. We needed someone who knows about winning. We know we needed someone who knows about culture. Uh, we needed someone who knows that sometimes, you know, in our league, we don't really have the standards that uh, that a European standard could provide. Um, and knows the background of the league and most importantly above all of this someone when he walks into the room commands respect mm. because of what he's done and I could have not found someone better than Boyan Hodak in the, in the time frame that we were in that short span to make a decision and so when we got down to the decision we were really happy to get probably now the most successful coach among the 12 coaches That was newly appointed CEO of Kuala Lumpur City FC Stanley Benai more of that conversation coming right up, so do stick around on here on Bar None on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, my name's Daryl Ong and you tuned in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. This week on the program, we've been in conversation with Stanley Bernard, the newly appointed CEO of Kuala Lumpur City FC, a club that looks to cement their place as a regular team in the Super League, as well as not just becoming the kings of the Klang Valley, but the nation. One of the moves that Stanley enforced was the appointment of the experienced Croatian coach Boyan Hodak, a man that's well known for his work in Malaysian football, but on the flip side, 
there are criticisms of Malaysian teams not hiring local coaches. Stats show that M-League teams prefer foreign coaches rather than local expertise, and as a result, many local coaches who on average spend about 65,000 ringgit for a pro license are out of work. Do foreign coaches equal instant success? Stanley Bernard, CEO of Kuala Lumpur City FC, joins us on the line. Yeah, I think it's a fair uh, way of also asking the uh, decision makers on trying to champion uh, local coaches, which I think Tan Cheng Ho is a great example of how successful he's been at the national team. Um, but at times, when you look at the coaches that are being chosen, um, it's really important to look at it case by case. So I only can speak for my club. Boen Hodak is proven. He's won all the cups domestically. Um, there were not many other local coaches who could have matched that. Um, if we want to have a gaffer that walks into the dressing room and commands that respect, as I mentioned. Mm. So that was our, the reason why we, we probably didn't go for a local coach. Uh, and we did choose someone that its track record speaks for itself. Mm, fair enough. Um, like you rightly mentioned just now, uh, KL has been up and down the Super League. Um, Sandy, what are the immediate goals for this season? Yeah, I, I, I think with our signings, um, I was really pleased in the sense that I think it's a short test sample um, to, to really measure that for a long season. But at least the morale of the dressing room going into Penang tomorrow is great. Because we won against Slango last week, it was a cup. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, we, are, we are, I think, we wanted the budget of Slango. Um, so it's it, it's a massive boost. We want to stay in the Super League. We want that status forever. We don't want to go down anymore. Um, that's what I've gone uh, saying throughout my entire. People asking me, oh, but the team could do better because we have big names, we have big coaches. Mm. Uh, but I, I, I don't want the pressure of. Of, of saying on the first year, oh, we must win a cup or we must finish this position. I really think it's a, it's a process. We have a lot of things to be done um, by raising the standards of infrastructure, by raising um, the day-to-day administration level. Um, in that process, I believe the players also need time. We have 17 new faces, new coach, new CEO, new president. <laughs> so... With all of that in, in place, I think uh, we really want to be a strong Super League team. We want to be known as a Super League uh, side year in, year out. That's our first goal. Mm. Um, Sandy, it's quite a weird and unprecedented time, especially to be helming a, a football club. Uh, in your, you, know, you started in January. In your experience, how much has the COVID-19 pandemic affected uh, the day-to-day operations at the club? Oh, it's tricky. Absolutely tricky. Um, purely because you you have to do things that you've never done before. Okay. So we're doing RTK antigen tests every single game, every single staff. When we travel away, we need to figure out, um, you know, when we are in the home quarantine bubble, um, exclusiveness that we've got from MFL competitions, uh, thanking them for that because they want that, that, that battle to allow this industry to continue. That's fantastic for the people as well who love football. Yeah. Um, but it changes because the permutations of it is not easy. We need to keep on finding ways to overcome um, to make sure that we also are negative uh, in the sense that of the test, which means everyone is clear to play. Mm. So we have to make sure the players are disciplined, the families are disciplined, we follow the SOPs. Um, so I mean, yeah, that alone is already um, a lot to ask. But so yeah. far, so good. Despite all that, I think the club has, has, has achieved to get down to, to, to achieving the first day uh, and, and turning up 
with our full squad Great. against Penang. Mm. Um, funding has been an issue that's been plaguing Malaysian football for ages now and especially now right Stanley during the pandemic um, what are your plans to I guess instill confidence again in the sponsors um, firstly I think one of the things that we've done is to understand um, the partners who are interested in us on their business case more than understanding our own business case we always look at can we offer to them for them to believe in us because Kuala Lumpur does not have a great track record in the Super League, as I mentioned earlier. Mm. But what we have is we have the capital city with us. We have the the opportunity to tell them that we're starting something fresh. Mm. Um, so the, the partners that have come on board, the sponsors that have come on board, has walked into a space believing that they have a long-term vision with us, uh, not a short-term, uh, and the projects have been put in place. The blueprints have been put in place. And I think in eight weeks um, since I started and uh, bringing on a few um, people who have really good wisdom uh, above me as well, the board, mm. the president, um, I think we have all been in line in trying to achieve what a professional club has to do to try and convince the partners for a long-term goal. Um, mm. I think, as I mentioned earlier, the look, the feel, the decisions made, the club, but you cannot run away from one thing. You need to start winning football matches. Yeah, that's the <laughs> so most important, right? It will. <laughs> yeah, eventually it'll come down to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And talking on football now and on your squad, you know, among the players that you brought in this window, uh, one of the big names that's sticking out is Safi Sali, of course. Uh, he joined Shuko Adan and Indra Putra, all three of these names, stalwarts in Malaysian football. Joining an already you know, established squad that has gained promotion last season. Um, Stanley, what are your thoughts on the current squad, which some might say is ageing? Um, the three players, I think Shriko has gone into a player-coach role. Um, Safi Sali is 37 this year. Uh, I think he's, he's going to be used as a super sub. Um, and Indra Putra still runs like a 21. But <laughs> if you look at our average age, we are on 26 years old, average. Uh, we've also got Akram Mainan, probably one of the best number six in the country. Kahadi Nazman, who's, who's on a radar of national team. Ilfan is called up for the national team. Um, they are all at 26, 27, peak of their careers. Um, we signed six youngsters who plays for under-19 and under-23 Malaysia. But it's our foreigners, I think, that that, that most have uh, spoken about. Um, Romel Morales, 23-year-old Colombian. we got Dominic Da Silva, who scored nine goals in 11 games last year. We signed an uh, Italian-Australian centre-back who plays in the Asian Champions League, uh, Giancarlo. Mm. And we also signed a goalkeeper who's Danish with a Philippines passport who plays for the Philippines national team who's at 26 years old. Mm. So we've actually really strengthened our spine and uh, three, four national players um, and then with seniors who are an extension arm to the coach. So that's how I think the entire task force um, balanced out the team and we got to an average age of 26 mm. despite having those three senior players. Mm. So aging squad is, isn't necessarily a fair comment to make. Yeah, I think I think if we... So I, I did a calculation. Yeah. Um, if we remove the three senior players, we are 24. Wow. Uh, average, 24 mm. years old. And when we put them, we're 26. 26. Uh, Zidane Zidane, when he won the three back-to-back uh, European Champions League, he had an average squad of 25. 
Mm. So we're not far off. Mm. Um, Stanley, I'll talk a bit about the docu-series now you guys are making in collaboration with Astro. Uh, sounds really exciting and, you know, just thinking about it over the years, we've seen, you know, behind the scenes, uh, behind the scenes look at sport uh, with Spurs, Amazons, All Nothing, Netflix, F1s, um, Drive to Survive. Uh, tell us a little bit more, Stanley, about this collaboration. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? When someone can tell a story like what you just mentioned about All or Nothing on Spurs, Man City, um, on the F1 stories, you know. But there's somebody putting cameras to places where it's never been done. And then when it's produced, you watch it, you're moved, you fall in love with these clubs, you fall in love with the individuals because there's storytelling to it. So I believe there's not been enough storytelling in Malaysian football. We love Maradona because Maradona was born the same year. Uh, no, sorry. I was born the same year Maradona won the World Cup, mm. but he's my best ever player, even though I've not actually really watched him live. Mm. It's because the amount of storytelling or production has been done around this man. When yeah. he passed away, uh, I shed some tears because it's the reason why I play. But there's storytelling. So I believe that if we can do that, if the club can achieve, um, with how dramatic my eight weeks have been, I'm not, sto- not, not, not short of a lot of dramas that have happened in this club. <laughs> I think we're just actually selling this docuseries even better. It's just that we're putting cameras in places that have never been done. Right. Uh, we're, trying to, we're trying to make sure that the players understand, the coaches understand that they are being uh, flim for how professional they are. It's, mm. the, uh, it's a 24-7 job. Um, I've not had any more than three hours of sleep since I picked up the job. Mm. Um, it's not been easy, but it's been exciting, challenging. Um, and we want to tell a story about football. And I believe it'll probably be a start of a lot more other clubs trying to do um, the same or different. But let's tell stories. Let's make this sport a, a really viable sport um, through storytelling. That's, that's the initiative that we're trying to do. Great stuff. Would it be like a fly-in-the-wall type situation? <laughs> We're trying to buy more equipment. Um, Astro has been fantastic. They've put um, their, their, their crew, uh, they've been great partners. Um, they see it through our eyes. We see it through their eyes. Um, and we're trying to produce something that um, we all can be proud of at the end of the year. So whether it's fly on the wall, whether it's GoPros, um, whether it's just phone cameras, we're just trying to get everything that we can and archive it and then one day sit down and try and edit and produce one of the best docuseries if we can. Yeah, it really does sound exciting and I personally am looking forward to it. Um, I want to talk a bit about you know JDT's dominance now. They've been blazing through the league for the better part of the decade. Uh, many put their success down to funding and solely to funding. Do, do you think it's that way? Do you think it boils down to existing funds or, you know, is it a combination of good business management as well? Well, I think the advantage of uh, TMJ was at the start, he did buy a lot of the uh, national players. Um, but like I said, you cannot run away from the fact that no matter what you do, people are going to start speaking about your results. So he had, the, he had that advantage. But what you've got to give credit to how uh, he has actually had his blueprint is he's put the money in the right places. Mm. And now it's up to the rest. He's put Malaysia on the map. They've done really well in the AFC Cup. They've won it once. They've played decent games in the AFC Champions League. They've won seven titles in a row. It's nobody's fault um, that they have gone and run away with, 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 with the league mm. um, uh, for the last seven years because they've just been improving themselves. I think the rest need to, to really look at them and try and chase them. And uh, funding-wise, yeah, I don't think we have the same check book as them. Mm-hmm. But I think we can take a lot of samples from them on how we can actually achieve it in our own way. Um, there's a lot of positivity on, on what they do. 
Um, and I think it's a matter of a process. That's why we cannot get ahead of ourselves. Um, they are in a class of their own at this moment. But it's up to the rest, including us, KL, um, to try and build those uh, important pillars to get closer and close the gap. I think that's the first step that any club should be doing. Try to close the gap. The gap is still huge at the moment. Try to close the gap. Yeah, uh, they, they are a good blueprint to follow, I guess, for, for any club. Um, I, I want to talk a bit about grassroots now. Stanley, I know it's, the, it's, it's you know, the job of the FAs, but what are your plans to attract the talent pool in the Klang Valley and make sure that KLCFC uh, doesn't lose young talent to Selangor? You've done really good research, I must say, <laughs> because very few understand the role of the FA and the FC. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but that's exactly where they're going to exist. When, when I came on board... One of the things I did as well is I gave a blueprint for the FA to, to, to try and see if they can work together with us mm. uh, as the FC, and that's been fantastic. We are one of the FA and the FCs that are really close to each other in how we're doing. Um, one of the things that we're trying to do is trying to get down to the schools. Um, we're trying to organize um, a league that all parents and all schools can look up to and say, you know, if you want to make your kid professional um, or have a chance of trying to get into the system, um, then this is the league that you want to get in. But yeah. also, it's more than just becoming a professional footballer. You can serve football in various capacity or sports in general through through the initiatives being done. But there's no two ways. We got to go on ground. We have to identify uh, the kids. Uh, we got to identify all the private academies, make them an affiliate to the FA and then through the FC. So all of them come down to a structure. Mm. And then we're going to put scouts out there um, that can identify these kids from an early age. And then we create a system where um, we have reporting on them as they progress over the years. And eventually the senior team, the under-21s, the under-19s, the under seventeen, starts to activate themselves in looking into this report through the scouting report. And then they all have a place to go. So when they're good enough, they start to walk through the under-17s and then the under-19s and the under-21, eventually to the senior team. Mm. But we need to go and get them all under one big tree um, so that there's monitoring done. Because at the moment, it's all apart. You know, they're all in, in their own zones. So we're going to try and create that, 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 that family tree, if I can say. It's not an easy task. It might take a year or two or three years mm. to try and identify these, uh, these academies that are already ongoing. Mm. Um, but the one thing I can say as the CEO is I'm trying to unite the entire city through football. Mm. Um, so I, I want to find out these academies. I want to I want to get them to know us. We want to get to know them, and eventually make them an affiliate. Uh, Stanley, um, all the best for you know you kickstart your season tomorrow uh, against Penang. All the best for that, uh, and I think us at the city will be definitely paying you know full attention on you know what's happening. And I think you guys could be the new giants of the Klang Valley. Only time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question: What are your hopes for the City Boys this season? Um, anything um, above uh, seventh place will be an absolute bonus mm. um, because I know the budget we're running on. Um, we, we really believe the first season is about trial and error um, but we, we really want to want to push ourselves we want to compete whether it's JDT Slango we want to compete in matches mm. um, we want to we want to close the gap um, so for me anything above 7 would be a bonus and I think we have a team that, that certainly we can look forward to next season as well because I'm building a team based on just not this year but I want to have the faces uh, of the players that we have this year, next year and the year after so that we don't have to go into a shopping uh, spree next season.
That was Stanley Bernard, the newly appointed CEO of Kuala Lumpur City FC, on his vision, plans and hopes for the City Boys. And with that, we've come to the end of this week's Bar None. If you'd like to revisit the interview with Stanley again, you can head over to our website real soon for the podcast, www.bfm.my forward slash Bar None's where you want to be. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at BFM Radio. And also don't forget to download the BFM app via Google Play and the App Store. My name's Daryl Ong and you have been tuning in to Bar None, the show that brings you through the ins and outs of the sporting world. Join us again next week on here on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.